Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 546 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, just back from uh, New York and D.C. Uh, in D.C. yesterday, I keynoted the move to amendorg conference, uh, working toward a constitutional amendment to declare that uh, corporations are not people and money is not free speech. 
and uh, it's really important work. And uh, then on Friday, I was in New York for the Talkers Convention. Uh, Talkers, of course, the, the Bible of the talk radio industry, a magazine published out of uh, New York by uh, Michael Harrison for years and years. Um, and uh, they ranked me this year as, or this show, as the ninth largest talk show in the United States with an audience of nearly six million people. And that's just on radio. So, uh, and, and of course, we're also on TV, on Free Speech TV and all that. So that was fun, you know, and, and I, I was on a panel debating four other conservatives. <laughs> so it was bizarre. The Supreme Court just said that uh, uh, Ohio can do what the Republican Party has been forbidden from doing since the 1980s. They can go back to caging. And uh, there's a lot of other things in the news. Net neutrality died today, too, uh, that I want to get to. But uh, for our first hour, Congressman Ro Khanna is with us. He's, uh, he represents the 17th District of California. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Pro Progressive Caucus, our regular guest, uh, who will be with us on Wednesday, I believe. Mark Pocan is the co-chair. Um, so uh, Ro Khanna is the number three guy in the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus, which is, I believe, the second largest caucus in, the, uh, in, in, in Congress. And his website, Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro, R-O, Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A. Congressman, welcome back. Great to be back on. I didn't realize you have six million listeners. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, that's step by step. <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. Um, and by the way, uh, I, should, I should let everybody know, Congressman Kana is with us for the hour, and he will be taking your calls, our number 202-808-9925. And uh, 202-808-9925, so give us a shout if, you, you know, if you've got a question for, for the congressman. Uh, congressman, you heard my, uh, you know, just touching on a couple of these uh, news issues at the top of the hour. If you want to comment on any of those, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Or what, what, I, what in your mind, uh, you know, the, during the first few minutes here as people are calling in and Arthur's getting our calls lined up, uh, what in your mind are the top stories and what are the things that are really concerning you? I mean, we have the president in Singapore. Uh, I, there's, just, there's just so much going on. What your, your thoughts on these issues? Well, there is. And uh, let me start with the, the president in, in North Korea because I came out uh, and criticized uh, Senator Schumer's letter uh, to Donald Trump. I don't know if you saw this, uh, but uh, Schumer basically uh, said that uh, we uh, should not have... Uh, any engagement or uh, d diplomacy or diplomatic solution unless you have a full denuclearization. And, you know, you could have had John Bolton almost uh, write that letter. And so Barbara Lee and I uh, are writing a letter to the president actually this morning with which Mark Pocan and a number of progressives are on, uh, saying that progressive Democrats actually support engagement, uh, that uh, the president should be overruling John Bolton, and we should be rooting for uh, engagement with North Korea to, to succeed. Now, do I think the president should have been better prepared? Absolutely. Do I wish that the State Department had sent folks over there? Yes. But I don't think the Democratic Party should be trying to get to the right of Donald Trump uh, when it comes to North Korea. Uh, and we should be following uh, the Bill Perry uh, model in the 1990s of, of engagement. So that's uh, a big thing. Of course, you mentioned the uh, Supreme Court ruling uh, uh, in Ohio, which is deeply concerning that basically uh, if you're on the vet, voter registration rolls and if the government thinks that you're uh, no longer voting, they can actually uh, remove you uh, from that role. Uh, and this is a, yet again a systematic effort uh, of disenfranchisement. It's one of the biggest untold stories of 2016, how many people were not able to vote because they didn't have polling places in heavily African-American areas, they didn't have Sunday voting, uh, they had voter ID laws, and now they're going to be removing people from the vo uh, the rolls. Uh, in some ways, uh, you know, we have a civil rights 
challenge like in the 1960s to get people to vote. And uh, people, I think, on the right see the changing demographics of this country, and they understand that perhaps the only way to maintain power uh, is to uh, engage in systematic disenfranchisement, and this is uh, yet another effort uh, in that direction. Yeah, this this goes back to the old statement uh, made in 1980. You know, the, we, I don't want people to vote. Frankly, uh, our power in the elections goes up as the voting populace goes down. So it's I mean, this is just classic, classic stuff. Let's pick up some phone calls here. Uh, we have Congressman Rokana on for the hour here on on Monday to kick off our week, and he's taking your calls. Andy, listening on SiriusXM in Wilmington, Delaware, you are on the air with Congressman Kana. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, Tom. Um, I keep hearing references to Libya with regard to uh, the negotiations uh, of denuclearization with the uh, North Koreans. And, uh, you know, as if, you know, that they gave up their nukes and Gaddafi lost his head. Uh, wasn't that a popular uprising? Did we have a direct involvement in his overthrow? We, we did, and I, I think that the Libya uh, overthrow was a, a mistake. Uh, I think... Also, it sent a, a message to the world, our invasion in Iraq and our invasion in Libya, that uh, if you don't have nuclear weapons, uh, you're at risk uh, of uh, having regime change. So well, Libya is the last example uh, we ought to be using. My hope in these talks is we don't set the bar at uh, denuclearization or nothing. There are uh, things we can do that will be constructive short of uh, full denuclearization, which is uh, in my view, an unrealistic expectation on a first meeting. We could uh, have them stop uh, intercontinental ballistic missile development. That's similar to what Bill Perry did in the 90s, where he we basically agreed to buy up all the internet, intercontinental ballistic missiles, and then John Bolton uh, got rid of that uh, framework and agreement. Uh, they could stop nuclear testing. So I think we need to be uh, to, to see what progress can come out of this without insisting on complete denuclearization. Yeah. Lynn, in Crested Butte, Colorado, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Um, yes, I'm just curious. Um, I haven't been able to get the information from my uh, representative's office. Now, it was my understanding that there was a resolution to reinstate net neutrality that the Senate passed, and um, it went back to the House, if that's correct. And um, has it even been brought up to the floor for a vote? Are they just ignoring it? Is it too late for a vote on this? And, and, and might you, Congressman, just very quickly explain what this process is to overrule Ajit Pai, the head of the FCC, and by, by this congressional resolution of disapproval? Thank you, Lynn. Sure. So uh, I was actually just uh, in Boston a few days ago on a panel with Ed Markey, and Ed Markey is the senator uh, who led this effort in the Senate. Uh, it's called the Congressional Review Act, which allows you uh, to overturn uh, administrative uh, interpretations and rulings. So Ajit Pai came in. Uh, he uh, tried to repeal net neutrality. And Markey introduced uh, overturning Ajit Pai's decision in the Senate. And because of Ed Markey's really remarkable leadership on this, he managed to convince a few Republicans uh, to vote with him, uh, count counter to what anyone thought. And it passed the Senate. Uh, and uh, so the Senate has done... Uh, its part in uh, overturning Ajit Pai's decision to repeal net neutrality and keeping the Tom Wheeler Obama administration framework on net neutrality. Now it's for the House, uh, and we have a discharge petition here. And the discharge petition just means that if the Speaker of the House isn't bringing something up for a vote, which Ryan is not uh, bringing up, 
then it takes 218 members of Congress uh, to sign something uh, to force it for a vote. And what we're trying to do is get basically an analog of Markey's bill voted on in the House. Uh, we don't have every Democrat on board yet. Uh, we have a lot of Democrats, but we need to get every Democrat. There are some Republicans uh, who uh, are uh, going to be on the discharge petition, and we need to keep uh, working, which some of us are, to get to 218, uh, and then we would be able to have a vote in the House. Okay, that's great. Congressman Rokana is with us for the hour, taking your calls here on this uh, beautiful Monday morning. Well, depending on where you are, I guess. Hey, if you're alive, it's a beautiful day, right? And uh, you can you can find his website at kana.house.gov, K-H-A-N-N-A.house.gov. He represents the 17th District of uh, California. He is also the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro, R-O, Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A. We'll be right back with more of your calls. program, a place where despair is not an option. Ro Khanna, Congressman Ro Khanna is taking your calls for the hour. Jeff in Mount Hope, Wisconsin. Jeff, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Good day, gentlemen. Hey, I was calling. Um, I got. Uh, I read a part of an article online about the DNC changing some of the rules so that a candidate like Bernie Sanders could not step up and run as president. Um, could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, I... I think we need to change the rules, and we are uh, working on that so that uh, it would make an indip- uh, a candidate like Bernie Sanders, who wasn't the establishment candidate, uh, more uh, able to run. There are two changes that I think are critical. Uh, one is we shouldn't have superdelegates be allowed to vote. Uh, there was an article in Politico last week which, where some of my colleagues were saying to, to keep the superdelegate system, and I couldn't uh, d- disagree more with them. Uh, I don't think a member of Congress should have an extra vote uh, for the presidency. Uh, we uh, should be deciding the nominee based on uh, the popular vote in these states. And so I've said I will uh, give up my superdelegate vote. We all should give up our superdelegate votes. And the DNC is going to be voting on that uh, come August. Uh, the Unity Commission recommended uh, that the superdelegates not be uh, allowed to uh, to vote on the uh, first ballot, at least, of a presidential campaign. And the second reform is to allow independents decline to state voters to be able to vote in party primaries. Right now, many states, you have to uh, choose a party uh, primary to vote almost 10 months before the election, which is a huge uh, bar to having independents vote in these primaries. That needs to change. Yeah. Jesse in Miami, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Uh, hi to both of you. Uh, Congressman, it's kind of tough, but I got to throw it out there. Do you do you think capitalism and democracy is compatible? I do, but I think it has to be. It depends on uh, how you define capitalism. If you have capitalism, where uh, like FDR wanted it, where uh, people have a right to a job, where they have a right to housing, where they have a right to health care, where they have a right to a good education. Uh, then, uh, then you can have a flourishing co- uh, capitalist system with also strong antitrust uh, laws and competition. But if you have free market absolutism, the type we've had since, I would argue, 1980, uh, where uh, you don't have uh, any investment in, in people, uh, where the gains are going to the, the very top, uh, where you have a concentration of wealth, and then that is in turn 
uh, funneled into the political system, uh, then no, I don't think that's compatible uh, with democracy. But the type of capitalism we have right now uh, is not uh, in the American tradition. I mean, I would argue that we've always had uh, a greater uh, sense of wanting the state to help people uh, have the tools to succeed in a, a market economy, not the kind of free market absolutism we've seen over the last 40 years. Jack in Eaton Rapids, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Oh, hello. Uh, yeah, I'm, I really appreciate you guys talking about the fact that so many people have been kicked off the voter rolls. Uh, they don't notify you when they do that, I'm guessing, correct? Depends on the state, but mostly not. Because, yeah, because so what they're claiming is that you're not the there, people, so why send a notification to somebody who's not there? Yeah, so most of these people that, uh, uh, whose, whose right to vote has been taken away is basically the way I look at it. Mm. Uh, they don't even know it. And it's great that you're mentioning it, but right now, that should be every uh, uh, politician's opening thing is go register to vote. You need to go register to vote because your right to vote may have been taken away. If you yeah. put it that way... And especially if you're not telling them who to vote for, just yeah. go register to vote. And, and check if your you voter registration. That, right, check. appreciate the person that's telling them that. Yeah, Let's, uh, we're, we're, we're about 40 seconds away from the break. Congressman, your thoughts? Uh, I agree. I mean, I think it's the biggest issue for us is getting, making sure we register to vote, but also having volunteers at these elections uh, 90 days before an election, uh, making sure that uh, registrars are providing enough uh, options for people to vote. Uh, we're going to need far more vigilance going forward in every election cycle. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is so many states, I mean, if you get purged um, and, you know, the cross-check program purged over 100,000 people in Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, each, in each state, and Trump won by tiny margins in those states, um, if you've been purged, you just show up and you get a provisional ballot, which never gets counted. And uh, it's, you know, how do we... It's like this really should be the top of. We should be screaming this from the mountaintop, shouldn't we? You're absolutely right. And this yeah. is the reason. This is the biggest reason uh, Donald Trump won was the disenfranchisement of individuals. And I, I, I don't agree. know why there hasn't been more focus on that. I agree. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Call 202 808 9925. After the news at the bottom of the hour, we'll continue. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls for the hour here on the Tom Hartman program. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you, the second hour of our program. A couple of things in the news that I wanted to talk about, and one in particular uh, that I'm guessing you might want to talk about as well. Uh, in fact, I'll start with that, and that's Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren uh, did a, an interview with a podcast uh, over the weekend, and uh, the, uh, it's called uh, it's Mehdi Hassan's Deconstructed Podcast. And she just came right out and said that, A, a number of Senate Democrats are very offended that she called them out for voting on this bank deregulation bill. And, you know, <laughs> tragically, we know, you know, why, you know, there's a handful of Democrats in the Senate who are basically beholden to the big banks. And this is not something that happened overnight, and this is not the, the fault of evil senators this is the fault of Citizens United and the, and the, the decisions, the, you know, the Buckley decision and others that preceded it. We have this 
you know, massive failure of democracy because of the corruption of big money, which the Supreme Court has sanctioned. No Congress ever said they, they wanted things to be this way. Nobody ever voted on a resolution for this. No, no, no state has ever said so. No governor has ever called for this. Uh, there's never been a, a, a ballot petition or anything in any state saying, gee, billionaires should be able to control our elections. Never. It was only five right-wingers on the Supreme Court who did this. And, uh, you know, she's, and, and so we've got, you know, a few corrupted Democrats, at least in this regard, with regard to this bank deregulation bill. And she just came, she said, she came right out and said it. She said, until we have all the Democrats who are willing to fight for the American people and not for a handful of right-wing billionaires and giant corporations, then it's going to stay an uphill fight. And I believe she's absolutely right. Until the Democratic Party, uh, you know, takes on, you know, gathers the guts her phrase, to, to uh, be, quote, willing to take on the billionaire class who just got a massive tax cut. You know, and, and nothing's happening. She said, and I quote, again, Citizens United is taking out the legs out from underneath democracy, and we have to be willing to overturn Citizens United. I get it that it's hard, but we can't give up on it because money is going to drown our democracy. And if we don't start fighting back and fighting back more aggressively, then we are part of the problem as well. So number one is, you know, the Democratic Party moving in a more progressive direction. That, that is going to start winning elections. Please don't forget, a large part of the reason why Donald Trump even got close enough that with, with uh, you know, caging and, and, uh, and voter purges, he could win in some of these Midwestern states was because he was taking Democratic Party positions, Democratic Party positions that go back to the Reagan administration, actually back to Nixon, Nixon going to China. The Democratic Party has always been the party of trade protectionism, for lack of a better phrase. I'm sure that the Democrats would like it phrased a little more elegantly, but that's it. And the Republicans have always been, or in, you know, certainly in my lifetime, the party of basically open borders for corporations. And Democrats have said, no, let's protect labor. And, uh, you know, until the Democratic Party, you know, and, and, uh, but this is, you know, the reality is that using Democratic talking points that plus the idea that Afghanistan and Iraq were stupid wars that we were lied into. Those are the two big things that Donald Trump campaigned on and won on, in my opinion, at least to the extent that you can argue that he won. And, and these, are, these, are our, these are our issues, right? We should be, you know, we should be like universally, absolutely, all of us just, you know, thumping the, the floor on these things, number one. And number two, we, we discussed this briefly with uh, Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, and, and uh, you know, back in 1980, when Paul Weyrich was helping run, and I'm going to play this audio out of my computer, Sean, just give you a heads up. Uh, back when, when uh, uh, Paul Weyrich was helping run the, the Reagan campaign and had co-founded the Heritage Foundation and a bunch of other organizations. I mean, he was a major uh, conservative uh, organizer, shall we say. You know, one of the guys who literally changed the face of America. And in a speech to a group of Republican Christians in Dallas, Texas in 1980, Paul Weyrich was speaking to his Republican activist Christian base slash, you know, friends. I mean, these are these are people who are like, you know, get out the vote kind of stuff. I mean, they were these he was talking to a room full of activists who all identified as Christians and as Republicans. And this is what the guy who co-founded the Heritage Foundation and, and helped make the 
the, uh, you know, help make Ronald Reagan president. This is what he had to say. Now, many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. So there you go. And this has been the strategy of the Republican Party ever since. And this is why in the early 80s, when, it, when the Republican Party was caught caging, and caging is where they mail out postcards to you, and if the postcards bounce back because you're not at that address, which happens a lot when people are deployed overseas, uh, this really hits, you know, serving, serving uh, military, active duty military hard. Um, or if, you know, if you've recently moved or whatever, but if the card comes back or they got even more insidious about it, some of the, you know, some of them had a detachable card that you had to return. And if you failed to return the card, they would challenge your right to vote. And they typically challenged your right to vote right there at the poll. You know, they'd stand there with a long list. This is, this is what uh, William Rehnquist, who used to be the chief justice of the Supreme Court, he was the one who cast the deciding vote, making George W. Bush president. This is, what, this is how William Rehnquist made his chops in the, Demo in the Republican Party uh, back in the 60s, was standing in, 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 at, at the front of the voting lines in polling stations in principally Hispanic and Native American uh, neighborhoods in Phoenix, Arizona, where he lived at the time, challenging votes. And he was this big guy. He was like 6'2", 6'3", you know, big guy and a lawyer. And he had this loud, booming voice. And he said, oh, you're, I don't think you're qualified to vote. Prove to me you're qualified. You know, and scared people away. And this is what the Republicans are all about. So today, this comes before the Supreme Court and the people arguing in favor of letting everybody vote pointed out to the Supreme Court that in the state of Ohio, this was this case was the, you know, the state of Ohio was on trial here and the state of Ohio had lost in a, in a lower federal court. The lower federal court had said, you may not mail out cards and take people off voting rolls if they, if they fail to send those cards back in a timely fashion. You may not do that. And, uh, and the reason why was because they found that only that 13% of the cards that get sent out official, you must send this back if you want to continue voting unambiguous, 13% of those cards never came back. Whereas only 4% of the people in Ohio had actually moved or died. So you had 9% of the people who just, you know, they didn't know what to do with it. They thought maybe it was a scam. They were, you know, they thought maybe it was a, the, the postal equivalent of a phishing deal, you know, where they're trying to steal your identity or something. I mean, who knows, right? You get a postcard and you, do I really have to send this thing back? I mean, I went down there. I, I registered to vote. I proved my citizenship. And then what happens is, is if you don't send that card back, when you do show up to vote, you get a provisional ballot, which is not counted unless you go back down to the, to the registrar of voting in the, in the next certain number of days, depending on what state you live in, and, and prove that you're you and prove that you're basically re-register all over again. Bring your passport or your birth certificate, bring your utility bills, all that stuff. And so the Republicans want to continue doing this, making it as hard as possible to vote. And this went to the Supreme Court with this clear evidence that if you allow the Republican Party or state, if you allow states that are run by Republican governors and secretaries of state, to continue the process of sending out these postcards, caging, sending out these postcards, and then, and then th throwing people off the voting rolls. And they can choose what communities they want to send them to. They don't have to send it out to the whole state. They can just send it to the, all the people who live in, in the inner cities or all the people who live in college towns, which is where you're going to capture your largest populations of people of color and young people. And, and you know, if they don't respond, boom, 
they lose their right to vote. And the Supreme Court, you know, the, the, it was a five to four decision. The illegitimate justice, Neil Gorsuch, who was put there because Barack Obama's nominee, uh, Merrick Garland, was, was held in abeyance for almost a year by Mitch McConnell in the United States Senate. He refused to allow the Senate to have a vote. He refused to even allow hearings, which is unconstitutional, unprecedented, and massively undemocratic. So you've got a right-wing crank now, the deciding vote on the, on the Supreme Court. And in this five to four decision, the Supreme Court decided that Ohio can now engage in caging, something that it's been illegal for the Republican Party to do since the 80s. And obviously, if Ohio can now do it legally based on the Supreme Court decision, so can pretty much any other state that's controlled by Republicans. Now, I don't know if the Democrats are going to say, hey, turnabout is fair play. And in those states that are controlled by Democrats, start mailing postcards into wealthy white districts, which largely vote Republican, and see how many of them don't bounce back. I mean, that would be a fascinating thing. But, you know, I'm very skeptical that Democrats are willing to engage, or the Democratic Party or Democratic administrations are willing to engage in the kind of corrupt, anti-small-D Democratic, anti-voting processes that the Republicans are. The Republicans own this. Right? The Republicans invented this for all practical purposes, although, you know, purging the voting rolls for security of the rolls literally goes back to Reconstruction. I mean, this is, this is an old, old game that the racists and the bigots have been running to rig elections on their behalf. This is horrible. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Does the Democratic Party need to stand up on their hind feet and start yelling, hey, the, uh, the Citizens United has to come down? You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech, in fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable, it is high-tech, and yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary, and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's gonna help your posture. And you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is gonna work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is the great, the fantastic, the funny, the extraordinary, the brilliant Stephanie Miller. StephanieMiller.com. You can tweet her at SMS, excuse me, SM Show, Stephanie Miller Show. Uh, who uh, precedes me on, on most uh, all of our progressive uh, venues and outlets and whatnot. And uh, Stephanie, welcome back to the program. 
Tom, you are never more brilliant than when you're sucking up to me. Please continue, <laughs> Professor. You're welcome. And she's, she's smart, and she's beautiful, and she's athletic, and she's... Okay. Uh, <laughs> Although you did get my Twitter. It's Steph Miller Show. Oh, there it is. Go. Steph, S-T, spell it. S-T-E-P-H, Miller Show. There okay, you go. great. Thank Sorry, you. I have uh, Ebola, and I'm coughing up a lung, so I apologize. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I understand that there's now a vaccine for Ebola, so I, you know. I know. <laughs> I get that to you. Welcome to Outbreak. Well, welcome to Outbreak Radio. There you go. But what we want to talk about is that tomorrow, iHeartRadio is uh, going live with a brand new station in San Francisco, KKSF, Real Talk 910. And, uh, in fact, their website just went live. If you go to uh, realtalk910.com, you can see it. And uh, this is this is a this is a really cool thing. We're picking up a really big affiliate. Um, I frankly, I think you and I should have this conversation tomorrow on the air to welcome our new listeners, and maybe we can revisit it. But uh, yes. I, I did want. Um, I was told there was no market for liberal thought in San Francisco. What do you mean by this? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that too. <laughs> There's no liberals anywhere in the country, don't you know, Stephanie? <laughs> yes, I believe they told me that the second or third time I sold out the Orpheum Theater in San Francisco for Sexy Liberal it was one of those times. I was told there was no market of any kind yeah, for any it, sort of liberal thought. Exactly, exactly. And and uh, I've got to get out there on the road too and do something like that. I'd say, you know, we need to we yeah. need to be spreading the word from from you know far and far and far and wide. Tom, so, how often have I said you in a patriotic song equals money? <laughs> How often? <laughs> Too many times. I love. Okay. Oh, Stephanie Miller. So, Stephanie, your thoughts on what's going on right now uh, in the world? You know, between uh, Trump, the whole Trump Russia thing, the uh, the latest indictments, Trump going to North Korea. He seems to love dictators and strongmen. I'm uh, not so much, uh, uh, you know, actual uh, friendly countries. Yeah. Did you see that Fox News accidentally told the truth for the first time ever? Oh my God. The Fox and Friends said the meeting of the two dictators. Seriously. And- <laughs> did not correct themselves. That's great. Um, I, am, I don't know if you can see on Skype, I am wearing my I'm sorry about our president in every language t-shirt. Um, oh, marvelous. Yeah. It, Tom, how much more, I don't know, blatant does the treason have to get than what happened this weekend? Yeah. He is, we are apparently at war with Canada. We are uh, alienating every single one of our allies. I mean, and I don't know about you, but my jaw literally dropped when he said, why don't we let Russia back into the G7? Yeah. That, I, I was like, and then he, he said, oh, something happened. <laughs> yeah, right. And right. it's Obama's fault. Yeah. I mean, you just can't write this stuff. On foreign soil, he well, said this. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, any Democrat who used to speak about anything on foreign soil would just get the skin peeled off them. And, and beyond that, I, I, you know, that's bad. But, I mean, go back a week and a half ago, and you've got a Chinese telephone manufacturer, two of them actually, ZTE yeah. and Huawei. Uh, who our Department of Defense determined have backdoors in their phones so that anybody using these phones in the United States, and there's millions of them in use right now, uh, can have all everything on their phone, from their phone conversations to their contact lists to their text messages, sucked right. up by Chinese intelligence. They said, this is not, not going to fly. And, and, and the Trump administration cut them off like they should have, you know, on the advice of the Department of Defense. And then... China, a Chinese bank loans, you know, the, the Trump Hotel in Indonesia, in Jakarta, is, is in financial trouble and looking at the possibility of bankruptcy if they can't raise a billion dollars. And one bank in China puts up, a, the, the official Chinese government puts up a half a billion dollars, loans it to Indonesia. And then a Chinese bank that's got a, a government affiliation puts in the other half a billion. So Trump gets a billion dollars. Three days right. later, his daughter gets 14 patents 
or, yep. or trademarks rather, for, for yep. uh, basically knockoff clothing goods that the Chinese have been forbidding her for years because they're essentially knockoffs of other designers. And, right. and this is going to mean literally hundreds of millions yep. of dollars in profits just for Ivanka, just for Daddy's little yep. girl. And didn't they also just hack one of our naval, they just stole a bunch of, you know. Yes. Yes, our submarines. They they hacked they, right. they hacked so, the whole the nuclear submarine thing, and and so Trump turns around and goes, oh well, fine. You know, now now that I got my hotel and my daughter got her hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, we'll just let this company keep selling yeah. phones in the United States. Give me a break. I mean that right. that that's even more insane than saying that Russia should be part of G7. Frankly, right. And how many times do we hear him say on the campaign trail, we're going to make China great again? Wait, what? Yeah. Well, I'm going to save Chinese jobs. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what he's doing. He's saving 60,000 Chinese jobs. But it's not enough to just sit around and complain about it, although we do need to highlight these things so that people know what the hell is going on. But yeah. we also need people to get active. And one of the ways to get active, particularly if you're in San Francisco, is tomorrow. And I realize, you know, like I said, I think that we should redo this maybe later in the week on, uh, so that I, we'll I do it on. I this was just a rehearsal. Yeah. I, I hope it's going well. <laughs> uh, at at uh, realtalk910.com. And, uh, and if you know anybody in San Francisco, let them know. They, I was the third person to follow them on Facebook just now. They've got Real, Real Talk 910, uh, at Real Talk 910 over at uh, Twitter. And I haven't been to their Facebook page yet, but I, I understand it's up. And uh, so, you know, there's, we Great. can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I know you love San Francisco. I love San Francisco. We've just had, you know, uh, such a great time there where there's been sexy liberal shows. And it, it's... Uh, you know, and uh, Nancy Pelosi, hello. Uh, Nancy yeah. Pelosi did uh, our very last uh, sexy liberal of last year to close out uh, the tour for um, for last year. And I, so I know it feels like home. Yeah. Well, I, I actually lived there for six months back in 1968. When it was, it was a, a very, yes, it was a very unique town in the summer of 68, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Well, let's not, let's not get into the details of that All right. or how I made a living. Um, so, so, Stephanie, what's, what do you see coming up on your show tomorrow? I'm not sure I'll still be alive. I'm not sure what the Ebola is going to be at. It's going to be the Ebola watch, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know what, Tom, I'm sure you feel the same. How can you predict... Not even by the end of, by the time we finish this conversation, what he's going to have done by tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Did you see that he, they already said, oh, things are going so well, he's going to leave early. I'm like, he hasn't even met him yet. Like, right. I mean, you know that no matter what happens, they're going to spin it as a win for Trump. Of course. Right? I mean, yeah. they're already. It's all, about, it's all about the photo op. It, it always is with Trump. It's all about the photo op. Yeah. Yeah. And Dennis Rodman's there. So what could go wrong, Tom? Yeah, which which mystified me because I I figured you know Trump probably had nothing to do with that because he does not want anybody hogging the cameras and Dennis Rodman certainly has the ability to do that, um, so probably Kim invited him. Do you know anything about this? Well, I don't know. I know that he did. Uh, Trump mentioned that he was a great rebounder, which, as you know, <laughs> is very uh, uh, apropos to a nuclear negotiation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you never know. I mean, you know, if, if Rodman can can help facilitate. I mean, the, as, as cynical as you and I are about Donald Trump. And, and, and his, his practices and policies and personality and, and, and porn stars. As, as cynical as we are about that, we are Americans, patriotic uh, citizens who love our country first and foremost. And if this administration, by some uh, you know, miracle, can pull a rabbit out of the hat and make something happen that's better for North Korea, South Korea, China, and the United States, right. but specifically the United States, then I, I'm fully supportive of that. I'm assuming you are, too. Yeah, well, sure. If you mean if our crazy can out crazy, they're crazy in a way that's sure. not crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but even they get what a pathetic, like you know, desperate for approval. 
you know, a, a, a dictator he is. Like, South Korea was like, yeah, sure, give him the Nobel Prize. We don't care as long as we don't get blown up. You know, like, I mean, just, right. they literally, I mean, that's, that's what's sort of almost more horrifying, you know, is how other countries have figured out how they have to flatter him and suck up to him and give him credit, you know, because I, I think we've never seen a leader, Tom, that he only cares about him. He doesn't care about our country or any other country or anybody but himself. I mean, this is all about how do I look like this is a win. Yeah, it's a psychopathology sitting in the White House. I mean, yeah. it's it's like he's he's uh, he's so easily diagnosed, yeah. and and people who say that people in the mental health profession shouldn't be diagnosing public figures, I completely disagree with that. You can sit across the desk from somebody, you know, an hour a week for a month, and not have even begun to cut through the BS of all the stuff that they're telling you to try and impress you, um, you know, before you get to the reality of their personality. On the other yeah. hand, if you look at a public figure who has been so scrutinized for so many years, there's no BS there. I mean, you know, or you can you can determine quite quickly what it is. I think it's frankly easier to diagnose public personalities for things yeah. like these psychopathologies than it is to to diagnose somebody sitting right across the desk from you. Yeah. Well, and that being said, you are no Dr. Laura, sir. But I, you know, <laughs> no, no, that's enough. But but yeah, I was rostered as a psychotherapist by the state of Vermont for a couple of years. So okay. I, I have some small qualification, I suppose, and I've written a bunch <laughs> of books on it. But it, it, the other thing is, we had uh, you know back uh, uh, a year ago when Trump first took office, we had uh, both a psychiatrist and a psychologist on this program who both said that their patient loads are just exploding. And the oh, psychiatrist yeah. said that the number of people seeking basically the modern-day equivalent of Valium, you know, some, something that will oh, help yeah. them with their anxiety, oh, yeah. has just gone through the roof. No, my, uh, my Happy Hour podcast has blown up because we're like, do you, does Donald Trump make you want to drink and swear? And apparently the answer is yes for everybody. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So but, happy. You know, Tom, I mean, on the, on the serious side of that, though, you know, we talked about this last week with, you know, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and, yeah. you know, and the report about how much... Uh, the suicide rate has gone up. Yes. I mean, I, I don't blame Trump for everything, but I do blame him for a lot. But I do think that people uh, I, are so stressed out beyond their normal life stress that people that are already vulnerable and dealing with depression or substance issues, um, this is, he's created such a, a chaotic, right. negative atmosphere. Yeah, we're hitting day. the break here, Steph. You're well, absolutely right. to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. The great Stephanie Miller, StephanieMiller.com. Steph Miller Show on Twitter. Steph, thanks so much. Thanks, honey. Great talking with you. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the third hour of our program, taking back the mainstream media three hours a day, five days a week. Tom Hartman here with you. Just a quick reminder, we're going live on our newest station in San Francisco uh, tomorrow. Steph Miller and I were just talking about that. Uh, Realtalk910.com is the website. Uh, a, a monster. Uh, used to be Clear Channel, now it's iHeartRadio station, so that's going to be great fun. On the line with us is Lori Wallach, the Executive Director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Tradewatch.org is the website, or citizen.org slash trade. And uh, you can tweet her at Wallach, W-A-L-L-A-C-H, Lori, L-O-R-I. And uh, Lori, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. I always enjoy our conversations. I always learn so much, and, and you are such a, a clear, articulate and informed voice on this issue of trade, and and um, I'm I'm so I so honor the fact that you don't um, 
you don't go, you don't turn it into partisan crap, uh, for lack of a better word, and I hope I don't offend anybody, you or anybody else <laughs> with that word. Um, but, you know, for example, you know, you and I can agree that some of what Trump is doing, at least in the way it's being presented, we shouldn't have a trade deficit with China, for example, uh, or Europe, um, is actually, actually, he's right about this stuff. Um, he's just doing it wrong. So, uh, I'm, A, feel free to react to that. And B, the G7 just happened. Uh, Trump's racism and misogyny are fine, but trade is intolerable. I don't get this. <laughs> well, I, it's like, uh, let me pull over the Pepto-Bismol in the barf bucket, because yeah. your situation is, ex- what you've just described, the situation is exactly spot on. So a lot of the critique that Trump has appropriated has been the analysis of unions, and progressive activist groups. Yeah, he basically stole Democrats in Congress. He stole one of Bernie's biggest issues. <laughs> and it's been for decades, it's yes. been the lefty Democrats and the unions, yep. and for that matter, small business Republicans. Yep. And small town businesses. Yep. It hasn't just been a left right issue, but it's been people who are not sort of walking, talking, tweeting billionaires um, who have been largely the critics. But Trump has, to be fair, had a consistent opposition to NAFTA, to WTO, to the China trade regime. And before there was NAFTA, he was against NAFTA. So while that is consistent for him, a lot of the critique he's now taking as far as what policy changes have to happen are those that have been articulated mainly by folks from the left, but also from some small businesses and from Main Street Republicans. And now you've got those policy demands, as you've said, many of which are the right thing, being conflated with the worst kind of racism, anti-immigrant sentiment, really personal hostilities, bad behavior and manners that result actually at this point in this dangerous situation where the progressives the people running small businesses, the independent farmers out there who have long been the greatest, strongest critics because they've lived the damage, Tom, Mm -hmm. of deals like NAFTA and WTO, they're now scratching their heads saying, good Lord, if that crazy guy is talking about it that way, do I actually still agree? Mm -hmm. It's actually a hazard because, folks, we're right. These agreements are a loser. These agreements have done real damage. We really have lost almost a million jobs to NAFTA, certified by the U.S. government. We do have a trade deficit with Canada and with Mexico and with NAFTA combined. But right now, the whole thing is getting blurred by the fact that there is a dynamic of who the spokesperson is and what else he's rolling into, what are legitimate critiques and, frankly, legitimate demands. Well, and my biggest concern is he's doing it on an ad hoc basis, uh, you know, throwing around, oh, well, I'll give you an exemption, especially if you fund my hotel, um, but I'm not going to give you an exemption because you haven't given me anything this week uh, or stroked my ego enough. And I I just, I see no large strategy. I see the the rant and, you know, with, with which... Like, like I said, I uh, to a large extent agree, but but although, like you correctly point out, uh, increasingly that rant is being based in. Oh, by the way, did you notice that those countries that are eating our lunch on trade are filled with people who don't look like white Europeans? And uh, you know, so it's like he's conflating racism with this stuff. But but uh, it seems to me that even if he does it right, he does it wrong because he doesn't do it well. Well, here's the thing that's so disappointing: there is actually 
some basic strategy here. There's mm. one guy who gets the whole lay of the land, and that's the U.S. Trade Representative. Robert Lighthizer. Robert Lighthizer, the guy that progressive Senator Sherrod Brown calls the best cabinet minister in the Trump administration. I would say the only good one to add to Sherrod. But mm. this guy actually has a vision developed over decades of what needs to happen. So if he and you, Tom, sat down, you guys, I suspect, would agree on 80 percent of the agenda, including specifically, you know, he has sort of four principal things that have to change with the U.S.-China trade relationship in order to get it back in balance and make it more sustainable. Mm. And he has the visions of the tools you use. The tariffs are just tools to try and make some of those changes. Just like in, at the end of this month, there are going to be new investment restrictions, restrictions on Chinese investment in the United States. That's to basically take away another of the ways in which China has been putting a thumb on the scale in, in trade competition, which is to buy up their competitors in the U.S., assume them, and stop the competition. So the agenda that is there, there is a plan underneath it, is lost in the Trumpian chaos of, as you pointed out, Trump one day following that plan, the next day deciding it's in the interest of the Trump organization's business interest to do something else, then maybe a week later swinging back the other way. There is no story that's coming through. Yeah. And to the extent the president keeps changing directions erratically, the strategy and plan, which I actually think are the right one that the, the top trade guy has, and the use of some of these tools, these tactics. I mean, tariffs should be a tactic. They are a tool. But the way the president is basically creating chaos on message and content, it's very hard to follow the plan. Yeah. What, what are, what is the, first of all, I'd like to get your thoughts on this whole ZTE deal um, and who, why, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, these two Chinese phone manufacturers that the DOD, the Department of Defense, uh, determined were basically backdoor spy devices uh, being sold in the United States, and therefore they pulled them off all the military bases. And then, you know, we blocked them, and then, and then, you know, uh, the Trump administration said, no, you can't, you know, if you, you can't buy parts from the United States and we're not going to, and you can't sell phones in the United States. And then suddenly the Chinese government funds the Trump Hotel in Indonesia, which is teetering on the edge of bankruptcy to the tune of, of a, a billion dollars, two $500 million loans. And Ivanka gets 14 trademarks that are going to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars to her over the next decade. And suddenly Donald Trump is just fine with ZTE. Am I characterizing that accurately? You are, only it's worse. ZTE was actually also subject to over a billion dollars in criminal fines because in addition to the phones being listening devices and unsafe for domestic security, they were being sanctioned under the Trading with the Enemy Act sanctions for selling phones and trading technology with Iran and North Korea. They also had a billion dollars in criminal sanctions, which when they were going to be shut down and not allowed to buy parts from the U.S., it was an intentional shut these bad players down. And the Trump administration intervened to throw them a lifeline. Folks may have seen that head-spinning tweet from President Trump about we have to save ZTE, too many jobs lost in China. Yeah, 60,000 jobs in China. We're, we're now we're going to compromise the security of the United States in order to save 60,000 jobs in China so that Trump's hotel can get a billion dollars and his daughter can get $200 million. That's what it looks like to me. So right at that same period, so that, that, that whole stunt happened about a week after they announced these 
major Chinese trade cheating enforcement actions that right. are done under a law called Section 301 of the Trade Act. And this, is, this was a whole very well-researched, thought-out plan to go after another piece of China's um, ways in which the, the, they are cheating on trade, which is technology theft, either literally cyber espionage or forced technology transfer. You can't run your business here unless you get a Chinese partner and hand over all your patents. So this was, this was an investigation that figured out particular products and sectors, all part of the China 2025 plan to dominate the industries of the future, where there was this forced technology transfer or theft. And the point was either knock it off or you're going to face trade sanctions. And these are these trade sanctions on China that will go into effect this Friday, the 15th of June. So that, that whole plan is, is, is rolling out. And they're starting to get ready to also talk about what the investment restrictions are, and that's to restrict the Chinese government from government-controlled entities from buying up U.S. companies and getting the patents and technology that way. And all of a sudden, a week later, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin goes to China and says, we're trying to actually instead make a deal to, to get the Chinese to buy a little bit more soybean exports and you know, some liquid natural gas. Right. Suddenly and the farmers somehow, in Iowa are upset with us, and there's primaries coming. Well, Excuse no, but me. even more so, it's like yeah. that's a one-time or two-year fix as compared to fixing the structure of a competitive system intended to basically have China dominate the market and right. wipe out the right. U.S. role. So, so Laurie, we, have, we just have 30 seconds before we're going to hit a hard break. What do we do? Well, so they flip-flop back again. The thing that folks need to do is stay focused on the critique and the actual fix, and actually in this instance to get with your members of Congress. Ultimately, Congress has authority over trade. So the more pressure that's coming from Congress on the administration, because, Tom, we talked about this last time, but to go back to it, they actually are doing the right thing in NAFTA renegotiations. They're actually heading to a NAFTA renegotiation that will remove NAFTA's outsourcing incentives and add labor and environmental standards. So we need to basically get Congress to keep the administration, keep their eyes in the ball, replace NAFTA the right way, stay on track on China, and mainly we all just need to keep on top of it, talking about it, and pushing for what we want. Amen. And you can go to tradewatch.org and get the whole story there. Lori Wallach, the Executive Director of the Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Lori, thanks so much. Thank you. It is always great talking with you. You are just one of the absolute smartest and finest people I know. Lori Wallach with, uh, with TradeWatch.org. We'll be back. And welcome back, Rick in Lexington, Kentucky, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind today? Uh, thanks, Mr. Hartman, for taking my call. Sure. I, I would like to know your opinion on this. Uh, basically, uh, it's been proven black people, brown people, yellow people, people of color had very little to do with electing Donald Trump. Yeah, and let's not forget uh, what used to be called red people, Native Americans as well. Yes. Okay, right, Native Americans. I, my, my question to you is, is basically listen to national news and um, the way they relate uh, Trump's voters, they call him his base. Why do they do that? Why do they relate to them as his base and not say white people? White people are the, uh, the largest society in this country. The, the fight is within that community in the, for the situation that we're in right now. So I just don't understand why they keep making excuses and not say white people to white people that within that society the turmoil is going on yeah you're in, you're in control of america right now either you want to be an american 
on a, uh, living America. And, and being American, yes, we can, or living America, or the, uh, being in the Confederacy. I don't understand why there isn't a lot more turmoil within the white community stepping forward, speaking out, saying truly what's going on compared to, you know, because people of color have very little to do with this. We already made our decision. We already showed the country where we stand at. What are white people going to do? Yeah. The, in answer to your specific question, why don't the news, why doesn't the news media uh, refer to Trump's base as basically the white people who support Donald Trump? Uh, because that really, and, and you, Rick, you and I both know this to be true, and, and all you have to do is look at what's going on. Um, uh, you know, uh, from, from the, uh, he, had a, he had a meeting with a bunch of military supporters, right? There wasn't a single person of color there, and people of color represent over 40% of our military, for example. It was a group of military spouses, as I recall. This was just a few weeks ago, this giant picture. Uh, they were all white. But uh, one of the, if not the, largest benefit to white people of white privilege is not having to think about, not having to talk about, not having to consider, not having to worry about race. It's, you know, a, white people by and large don't go into a store wondering if their race is going to affect how they're treated. They're not go, they don't go into a restaurant wondering how, you know, they don't go into an encounter with the police. All of these things, white people are by and large insulated from even the issue. And that okay, I think. Can, so, but let me but let me ask you. Okay. I think that's why the media is doing it because the media is white controlled. Excuse, pardon my uh, stepping over you, Rick here, but I just had to get that out. Okay. Well, I, I, all, all of us that pay attention realize all of that. The only thing that I'm concerned about is that if we're going to make it through this, truthfully, somebody has to take responsibility for this. And the bottom line is, if CNN, MSNBC, on a day to day basis. If they don't talk to the people who made the decision, then how do we get through this? Yeah. I mean, you, you have to you have to have some kind of program that talks directly to white people and make them understand. You have to take responsibility for this. I agree. And I, 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 I'm doing my best here, Rick. I really am, because we've got a large white audience, and I, oh, I talk to them frequently about this. Yeah, no, I got it. Rick, I got, I'm sorry we're hitting a break here, but it was a great conversation. Thanks for watching us in Lexington, and thanks for calling in. Great to hear from you. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This uh, hour of this program brought to you by the electric toothbrush from Quip, Q-U-I-P. The website is getquip.com slash Tom. Tony in Atlanta, Georgia. Tony, thanks for calling. What's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how you doing, man? I'm well. What's up? Hey, uh, hey real quick, I want to comment on something you made mention about a little while ago, and you, uh, Elizabeth Warren was spot on. I've been saying that for the longest. Yeah. Until you get all the Democrats to just come over and say, okay, I can't worry about, uh, you know, my voters here, whatever, 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 to a certain degree. You know, it's never going to happen until they get them to come over and do what they have to do because when it comes down to major issues, you would never, and I have never seen a Republican jump side when it comes to major issues like with the banking industry, the oil industry, the coal. No, little small, mediocre things, you have one or two come over that really doesn't matter and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's all. You yeah. know? And, all, and then the last thing here real quick, you, ha you, you hit it spot on. I mean spot on with the thing up in Ohio, that election thing right there. I mean spot on. Oh, I, I say, boy, look at here. Look at here. 
you know. Yeah, yeah they're they're gonna the, they're gonna be mailing those cards. They're probably gonna drop a million cards in the mail today, and oh, yeah. and they're gonna design oh, yeah. them so that they look like junk mail, and they're gonna mail them exactly. into into exactly. into low income exactly. communities and in college towns, and and they're gonna rig the election for the next what six eight years, something like that. And I guarantee you, I'm almost willing to bet you or anybody. There's nothing on that front, uh, the envelope cover that's going to say anything about voter election or voter registration. Yeah. Nothing. Or if it is, it'll be done in a way that might even intimidate people. Right. And it's going to just be thrown right in the trash can. And like you said also, it's only going to go out to certain communities and neighborhoods. I believe that to be the case. Yeah, I do. I really do. Yeah. I, you know, just I, if you see how these guys play and they are playing for keeps there. Oh, yeah. They are, they are oh, yeah. representing, been, watching, you know, oh, big dollars. Oh, I'm sorry, no. Tony. No, no, no doubt, no doubt. I've been yeah. watching them for a long time. That's yeah. how they play. They don't, they don't care as long as they win. They That's don't right. Care how they play it, as long as they win. Well said, Tony. Thanks for the call and thanks for listening to us there in Atlanta. And 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 as Tony was pointing out, I mean, these Republicans are wholly owned by large corporations and right-wing billionaires who made their money from large corporations, and they really don't care about democracy, and they absolutely don't care about the bottom ninety percent of Americans. In fact, I would argue they don't care about the bottom ninety-nine percent of Americans. And uh, that message needs to be delivered. Jay in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Jay, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, it's a pleasure to speak to you again. I remember you were saying something about the con and conservative. Yes. Well, let me go ahead and kind of break this down real quick, my young 35-year-old self, from what I've seen. Okay. Conserve in a dictionary means to keep the same, to keep traditional. Right, if there's anything we know, If there's anything we know about the natural world, the hell with tradition. It doesn't matter. Things change. Mm. So when Trump talks about building that wall, it's not a wall. It, it's a wall to keep brown people, yellow people, I hate to say that, people of melanin from achieving great things. And if you think about, if, if you look at the pay rate today, I'm working at a job. I'm making about maybe 24, maybe 23, 24,000 a year. That's still below the poverty line last time I checked, I think. Mm. And, you know, um, when you have student loans and stuff, they want you to pay that stuff back. I'm like, okay, how am I supposed to pay this back? And I got other expenses that may come, you know? Yep. So really, if you think about it, conservatives have been playing this long con game since, I want to say, the 50s. You mm -hmm. know, But, it, but it really, they really actually got enough power to put it into law in, with Reagan. That's when it really started. That yeah. was when the big flip it's, happened was in 1981. Uh-huh. And that was two years before I was born. And my friend's like, huh, you were born in the 80s, Reagan. I said, let me tell you about Reagan. Reagan was the biggest effort we ever had. He just spoke good word salad. That whole Iran deal, that was Iran's money. That wasn't our money. The thing about the U.S. and, and a lot of conservatives that try to argue with me online, I say, look, y'all think this country is great? It's really not. I mean, you basically put a lot of governments down because of democratically elected people because they don't need U.S. imperialistic influences coming over and screwing up that country. You know, they're talking about, well, uh, you know, Muslim. I say everybody in the Middle East is not Muslim. They're not. You have Indians. Yeah. You have, you know, some Asians. You have, the Middle East is full of different people. Because that's my friend of mine telling me, he's like, you know, Afghani people are actually Asian. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. Yeah, well, it's technically it's technically part of Asia, uh, but but uh, good points all, Jay. Thanks thanks for calling and making them. I want to get one last caller in here, and I only I don't even have a full minute. Stephen in Monroe, North Carolina. Hey, Stephen, thanks for waiting on hold. Got a quick point hey, to make? Tom, uh, uh, quickly, the uh, Ohio case. Um, you have to. You, they have they send out the notice if you haven't voted in a federal election, and if you don't respond, 
it's still another four full years uh, before you kick off the rolls. In fact, your call screener questioned me about that. And he said, right. well, I was kicked off after three years. Well, federal law only requires two federal elections. That could be as little as two years. Right. Ohio bumped it out to four. No, I understand that. But case, it's not policy. You're, you're absolutely right, Stephen. And until the Ohio legislature gets together and decides to change it now that they can pull this thing off, we'll see where it goes. But you're right. You're absolutely right. That, that is currently what the law says. Currently. And the Republicans control the legislature and the governor's office and everything else. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us involved, active. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.